So we continue this morning in our summer-long sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit of God. This day, we will reflect on and learn from and about the fruit of peace. So we're grateful that this lesson that Becky just shared with us actually reminds us of the word that Jesus would have used, this word of shalom. It is an all-encompassing peace that we will speak of this day, but it is also one that dwells within each of us. So I invite you to hear these words from Romans, the 12th chapter, verses 9 through 18. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lonely. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take, take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this day, when we speak of and learn about peace, we will do so rooted in this little part of what Paul shares with the church in Rome, tucked in verse 18, qualified even. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul admonishes the church in Rome to live and to embody and to be at peace with not just each other, but with their community and then with all of creation. And if I was to be honest with you this day, I want more from Paul than just verse 18. I want more than just this tucked away, qualified statement on peace. I want more from the church in Rome I want more from our church. I want a stronger statement about the call of Jesus Christ to be about peacemaking, born of the ministry of the Prince of Peace. I want more from Paul, but then I spend time with this text and I realize that there is a good bit there. Because the more I read it, the more honest, the more transparent, actually the more faithful, I believe, Paul's statement appears to me. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Whatever it lacks in vigor, it makes up for in honesty. In verse 18, Paul shows that he understands and appreciates the intricacies and the mystery of peace. Often when peace is presented to us, it is banal platitudes. It is pie-in-the-sky thinking. But this statement, actually in the way that Paul qualifies it, this statement helps us understand 
the complexity of peace, whether we're talking about personal or communal peace. The true nature of peace involves first intricacy, but also mystery. Intricacy because true peace is not established in a vacuum. True, faithful peace, peace that we could rightly call a fruit of the Spirit, always lives in the real world. True peace, real peace, faithful peace, never denies the complexities of the world or relationships, but lives within them. And so in this way, I appreciate Paul's statement on peace because it does not offer an easy, whimsical reduction of peace that is so often sold to the world. If we are to speak of peace this day and learn about it, then we can't present an easy understanding of it. Not for those who live through division and a lack of peace in their families. Not for those who live and understand a lack of peace in their communities. That isn't a complex peace. It is a peace that requires something more of us than banal platitudes. As author and teacher Andrea Rene puts it, peace is possible. But the concept is often used to bypass truth, to bypass truth, to bypass pain, injustice, and even accountability. A peace that is unable to withstand reality is not peace at all. It is avoidance and self-deception. Peace requires a reckoning with what is. She reminds us that we can do. The peace that Paul outlines is not a peace that denies divisions or difference in the world, but faithfully holds a mirror up to it, not denying the tension of the moment, but reflecting on it. So Paul understands, so Paul's understanding of peace speaks to the intricacy of peace, but it also speaks to the mystery of peace. And this one might be more difficult for us to understand, but it's, it's vital, If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Peace is is mysterious. Mystery is a part of peace because true peace cannot, cannot come about only by human will alone. In verse 18, when Paul says, so far as it depends on you, we might read it as a cop-out, a way of avoiding responsibility in the work of peacemaking. You might say, well, I'm ready to be at peace in this argument, but you're not. I am prepared in all the ways to reconcile our family difference or to be about peacemaking in the world, but the family isn't ready. The world isn't ready for that. But Paul is not one to pass the buck. So there must be something else going on here. When Paul says, so far as it depends on you, we might more faithfully interpret what he is teaching to the Romans, a a group of people, mind you, that are living amongst the most prosperous empire in the history of the world. A group of people who are living in a place built on a story of self-determination and human ingenuity, and power. 
We might remember that as Paul is teaching the Romans this, he might also be teaching them that there are indeed limits to their own abilities. Paul is teaching them that there is a power, capital P, within their power. There is a spirit, capital S, within their spirit, working in unseen ways, authoring peace, so far as it depends on you, because it doesn't only depend on you. It depends on the work of God in your midst. This is what I believe makes for Paul peace an act of faith, because peace necessitates acknowledging that there is a degree to which peace can only be authored by God. This week, I had the pleasure of getting to to proofread Jessica Joshi's sermon. She's preaching right now in Kennett, Missouri. She's preaching on our lectionary text, which is Mark 4. It's the story of Jesus asleep on a stormy sea. The disciples are terrified. They are scared. And Jesus is resting comfortably in the bow of the ship. And they come to him and they say, Do you not care that we are perishing? Wake up. Do something here. We can't calm this storm. And we're afraid. We're fearful. So Jesus awakes. And he walks to the edge of the boat. And then he says, peace to the storm. Be still. There is a degree to which this peace that we speak of this day is indeed dwelling within us, but it cannot even be drawn out of us except by God. It cannot go into the world except through the mystery of the Spirit of God at work in that world. This rings true. It rings true when you speak a word of peace in a hospital room as someone is about to pass away. It rings true when you stand in the city square as tensions rise between groups. It rings true for us even as we seek out peace in our lives. That there is a dimension of this peace of which we speak that can only be authored by the Prince of Peace. Acknowledging this truth doesn't enable the Romans to avoid responsibility. Instead, Paul knows it'll be an encouragement to them. The truth is that peace is long and difficult work, whether that be communal or personal. And Paul knows that there will be great expanses of time in this journey of the Roman church where it won't look like things are changing for the better. And in those times... Trusting that peacemaking is also God's work will sustain the faithful on their journey. And that is why peace is not just intricate. It is born of mystery. Poet and author Jan L. Richardson speaking to the power of what it looks like when a peacemaker humbly bears through unrest with another. She writes in her work, Blessing in the Storm. She says this, I cannot claim to still the storm that has seized you. Cannot calm the waves that wash through your soul, that break against your fierce and aching heart. But I will wade into these waters and I will stand with you in this storm. I will say peace to you 
in the waves. Peace to you in the winds. Peace to you in every moment that finds you still within the storm. And so if we are to take the, the work of Galatians seriously, then we are to believe that there is a dimension of God's peace that dwells within us. It is complex. It is not avoidant. It is mysterious, but it is real. So then, beloved, the question becomes, what does it look like? What does it look like for each of us, then, as beloved followers of the way? What does it look like for us to be open to the complexity, but also to the power of God working out peace within us? What does it look like for us to go from this place on a Sunday morning and to go into our family systems and into our places of work, into our community and really across the world as we get about doing the work of God? What does it look like to be people who say, we carry peace with us and it is not easy, but it is real. Our calling as the church of Jesus Christ then is to bear the fruit of peace. God has equipped us. God has equipped you. God is at work in our community to greet us as we make our way there, bringing words of peace. And God is at work within you. So maybe this day you've come to this place needing a measure of God's peace. Maybe you know someone that you love deeply who needs a measure of God's peace today. Here's what I want to remind you of. The gospel truth that Paul tells us is not tucked away. It's not a throwaway line after a long list of claims that he says the Roman church needs to live into. Instead, Paul's charge to us, Paul's charge to us is as intricate and as mysterious as peace itself. And we are called to go into the world we are called as the church in Rome was called to move out into the world and in all the ways that it is possible so far as it depends on us to live peaceably with all. So my hope for you this day is that you will know peace. And my hope for our church this day is that we will bear that peace, that fruit of the Spirit in the world so that Memphis so that the world might know the true prince of peace. I invite you to join me in prayer. Storms are nothing new to us, O God. They move through our lives, and they are at work in the world, and yet you speak a word of peace, and all is still. You call us to be peacemakers, born of your image, to go into the world and to practice peace, yet it is difficult, oh God. It is hard work. So we'd rather give that work to someone else, but we need, we need you to help us to claim that calling this day. Those places of division in our lives and in the world, remind us that you are at work there. Remind us that you are the God of reconciliation, Remind us that we are indeed your faithful people. 
equip us not only to to understand and feel and experience peace in our lives, but also, O oh God, to share it in the world. For we ask it in the one who calmed the storm, the one who inspired Paul. We ask it in the mighty name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Christ. Amen.